Welcome to another episode of At Home with Leaders, the series that is part of the Leaders Performance Podcast. Its aim is to unearth stories and insights for the top people within high performance on what they're doing as sport returns to our lives and edges back to some sort of new normality. I'm Matthew Stone, Senior Product Manager here at the Leaders Performance Institute, and I'd like to say hello again to all the returning listeners and say a big welcome to those of you who are listening for the first time. It's a pleasure to have you with us. We're delighted that this podcast is sponsored by Kaiser, who are also the main partner of the Leaders Performance Institute. Now, Kaiser have been changing the world of fitness for over 40 years, and we're proud to have been partnering with them ourselves for nearly a decade. More than 80% of the top professional sports teams in the world now train with Kaiser exercise equipment. And if you want to join them, then get in touch with the Leaders team for an intro or head to kaiser.com to find out more. In a moment, we'll be chatting to Alex Good, the Saracens fullback who will soon be embarking on a year playing in Japan with the NEC Green Rockets. We'll be delving into topics of preparation, motivation, mindset, fear, anxiety, player ownership and team culture. As you probably guessed, these are the sorts of topics that come up time and time again amongst our network within high-performance sport. With this in mind, we made a few exciting changes here at the Leaders Performance Institute. The world of high-performance is evolving and so are we. So if you'd like to hear more about what we're introducing, including our brand new performance communities, as well as our events, content, virtual learning and networking, then please visit leadingsofsport.com forward slash performance and join over 700 other members at the home of Total High Performance. Now onto today's episode. As always, it's a pleasure to have my co-host from California. Alongside me once again, it's founder and CEO of Games Group, Mr. Steve Gira. How are you today, Steve? And how's LA? Hi, man. Uh, I'm doing well. How are you today? Yes, not too bad. London's okay. It's probably a lot colder than it is in Los Angeles, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's hard. To, yeah, it's going to be, um, for us, it's going to be in the 80s and 90s over the next two days. So really hot here. Uh, and then uh, we were obviously in the middle of our uh, election at this current time. So it's really good to be able to talk about sports with you. Absolutely. I did the classic British thing there by mentioning the weather, didn't I? Straight off the bat. Very predictable. Now, we've had some former players in the podcast who now occupy coaching or front office roles, but our guest today is our first current player, I believe, and that man is multiple Premiership and European Cup winning Saracens player and soon-to-be NEC Green Rocket, it's Alex Good. Good afternoon, Alex. How are you today, chat? Very well. Good afternoon to you both. I am well, although it is a bit grim outside for me. Continue on the weather front here. Yeah, absolutely. It's getting Baltic in London, so it's it's, it's not great. Um, whereabouts in the world are you today? It's still in London, not quite Japan yet, correct? Yeah, still in North London, in the middle of a house move, which is uh, highly stressful. But I'm hoping this, this hour or so will be my uh, my zen moment, just to calm reflect and then uh, go back to packing boxes I guess. Exciting stuff well we do our best now um, we'll delve straight in and, and really we're trying to steer these questions away from Covid and lockdown a little bit but with you being our first kind of athlete on the podcast I'm intrigued to, to know how you found it you know we've heard from coaches and other staff on how they found it but from an athlete's perspective how do you look back at that time and on how it went? I learned a lot uh, about myself things I probably knew already but really cemented them in my mind so for example I really struggled not having the structure of training so I could tell you on any year the next six months pretty much where I'll be what training would be doing roughly what day and everything going forward like within reason every hour of the day and I enjoy that I'm used to it I've done it for 15 years or so in, in COVID I struggled with it for the first two weeks I didn't get up you know, I wasn't training in the morning, so I got up a bit slower, didn't really get anything done. I got to the afternoon, I hadn't achieved anything, and I was annoyed at myself. 
and was getting angry. And I realized pretty quickly that I need to get into a routine. And so I started to do the sort of Monday, Wednesday, Friday would be running and then Tuesday, Thursday, heavier weights, etc. But I had to do it in the morning. I had to get this stuff done. And then I was so much more productive in the afternoons with getting DIY done or you know doing things I meant to have done for, for months and months. And so that was a real, really good learning curve for me. The structure is actually a good thing. And then as well, I, I knew already, but a lot more training on my own, I'm very bad at. I need the competitive instincts of running against someone or with someone, competing, even just the stimulation of someone else being there. Because running on my own, I can do it, but I can't quite push myself as much, I think, or enjoy it. And it's it's a it's a slog. It can be difficult. And so I think finding a, a training partner in my area who could just go to the park socially distant and do shuttles or fitness against each other or with each other made a big difference. Alex, you know, one thing that a lot of, uh, I've heard anecdotally from a lot of folks who work around players and coaches is that post COVID there were, there were certain players who kind of came in and they had taken responsibility over themselves and responsibility over their training during the shutdown. And that has consequently led to a little bit more ownership period in, in that player owning a little bit more of their day, a little bit more of their life. As you're kind of, if you're getting back into playing, have, have you noticed that from other players who maybe didn't have kind of that get up and go and like own their own day, own their own attitude? Uh, have you have you seen any sort of shift like that? I think, yeah, definitely. I hadn't actually thought about it in that sense, but when you mention it, 100%, especially really from some of the younger guys. I think mainly for me would be all the time they're told what to do, when to do it, how to lift, how to run. Everything is there for them and they don't really need to do anything at home it suddenly became this right you need to get your own weights or find your own gym equipment you need to you'll be given sessions but you need to go out and do it without someone shouting and telling you to do it because ultimately it's very easy when other people are watching or people are telling you to make the line every time that's easy in fact the the best line I ever heard from anyone and I've always used is it's what you do when people aren't watching that counts because it's easy to train hard when everyone's there coaches are watching players are there you're competing against anyone it's actually when you've got to make the line on your own and it's cold and it's wet and no one's watching you at all do you do it every time are you an honest player and I think for these younger guys that was a real moment they had to sort themselves out and then when they came back in We'd lost a few senior players at the club, potentially at the time. They had to be more vocal. They had to sort of take that ownership in terms of what they did when they were there. They were more open to the physios, the coaches, the conditioners. And certainly it was a really good way of them coming out of their shell a bit. So, yeah, I think for a lot of those guys, it was a a really good period for them in that sense. Do you think it made players question why they're being asked to do things as well? Not just an ownership perspective, but not questioners and disagree with why they're being asked to do it, but maybe you think, well, well, I'm going to look into this deeper as to why I'm being asked to do this certain type of exercise or eating this eat this certain type of food at this type of time of the day do you think that there's, there's that aspect of it as well probably yeah a little bit of that especially with the nutrition you know a lot of our meals are at the club normally and, and they became you have to cook your breakfast your lunch your snacks your dinner and therefore you have to think about it a bit more you have to put more time into it and I think naturally everyone then tends to you look for inspiration from social media, online, cookbooks, whatever it is, and you start to delve into what you like and what's good for you and what's healthy. So I think there was an understanding of that. I think I've certainly seen some of the players, not in an aggressive way, question the conditioners, but try and understand, all right, why am I doing five sets of three or why am I doing, you know, three sets of two on this exercise and that exercise? 
so they get more of an understanding of why they're doing it, what's the benefit, etc., in a positive way, so they're understanding and learning. And I think that's been a real big positive. Is that translating at all too, like to on the pitch? Because now, as you as you're having to like really focus in on looking at you know how tactics on the pitch actually go, do you think that that's transitioning to uh, a little bit of questioning as to why we're doing it this way, why we're taking this approach, coach? Well, I think with the coaches, it's perhaps been slightly different. I think there's still an element of they're the coaches, they decide what we do. It's hard to go against them a little bit. The authority there isn't challenged too much, I'd say. But I think on the field, the players are looking at the game a bit more. They're open to learning from different sports. They're open to just flourishing a bit more, being a bit more confident, being a bit louder, to speaking to the senior players especially and understanding what they bring to the party, what they're good at and actually implementing that on the field better having previously perhaps held back so I certainly think in that aspect yes it has helped those same people I can think of and um, you mentioned on the field there great result of the weekend in, in Ireland but how has it been returned to playing without fans and without the I guess the structure of game day that maybe you've been used to is it, is it strange being in the likes of the Aviva Stadium at the weekend with you know, very little atmosphere. You know, what are the positives uh, and negatives? You sort of get used to not having fans there in a, in a weird way. At first, it seems odd, but I think ultimately, because we were playing the Premiership and we had already been relegated, etc., I think that wasn't too bad. Once you got to those big European games, it didn't really matter there wasn't fans there because you knew how big the, mo- the moment was. You knew it was a, a quarter-final against the best team in Europe. You knew it was a semi-final um, with only a thousand fans, and the atmosphere in your in your mind and on the field was big enough. So, look, I think the game isn't the same without the fans. There's no doubt about that. But I think as a professional web player, you end up being so tuned in in those big moments. And again, away from home, both those games for us, we've always talked about the energy, the inner energy of the 23 there. And actually, the only people who can win that game are the 23 players. So we have to build that energy ourselves. We have to generate it. We have to get a good feeling amongst ourselves because it's us against the world kind of feeling. Us against their whole team, their crowd, you know, everything. And so I don't think that really changes. You're still away from home. It's still the same 23 and you're against a very good side and you have to generate, uh, I say, energy, a buzz amongst the group. One, one of the ways that I know a lot of players, like you, you generate that buzz is the, the competitiveness right? The competitiveness on the field. And sometimes like that environment really kind of fuels that competitiveness. Are, are the matches, you know, are they as competitive without fans as they, as they, as they have been in the past with fans? Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about that. I don't think that has changed at all. I think some teams perhaps, and I would say lesser teams rely on a crowd. I think of teams that I don't respect that much. And they're the ones who turn up when, the, uh, when yeah, they're great, when the crowd are behind them and they sort of grow another leg kind of feeling and they really fly into you, a home side, but away from home, they're poor. Now, for me, that's a pick and choose mentality. That's something that I'd hate to be part of at, at my club at Saracens. We've always talked about never being a pick and choose team. And our away results have spoke, uh, speak for themselves. And, and that's because it's it's not a choice. It is you turn up every single moment you're on that field, you play for Saracens with that shirt on, you perform to a level that we expect. And that is that work rate, that energy, that physicality, non-negotiables. You may drop balls, you may you know, miss a tackle, but the non-negotiables, you are there every single time. And we sort of break that down into previously, 10 years ago, but still there, effort error and skill error. And if it's a skill error, you drop a ball, 
you do a bad pass, you miss a kick. The head coach said, that's on me as the coach and the coaches. We need to upskill you as players. We need to make you more skillful, better at tackling, better at passing. You know, that's on us. But an effort error, the opposition beat you back on a kick chase. They run further than you. They out-sprint you. They get off the floor quicker than you. They generally are just working more aggressively than you. That, he said, is not acceptable and you will not play for my side if you do that. And it made it pretty clear what was expected of us as players, I think. And that, and that has a huge impact. Clarity with, with what's expected of you is obviously a huge thing. And I think that's one of the things that I've always been a big admirer of the Saracens culture. You know, having spent time with you, having spent time with the likes of Sanderson and some of the other folks um, at the club over the last 10 years or so. A lot of obviously been spoken about the environment that was, that's been created at Saracens. So I'm really interested to know how has playing as a group, how have you evolved um, that while still having you know the success on the pitch that you've had over the last 10 years? Two things, really. I think the, the culture is something I want to get to. You mentioned there before clarity. Now, I've had a thought on clarity for so many years because I think our 2015 World Cup team that didn't perform well for England, one of the biggest things was a lack of clarity at times. And someone showed me a paper. He's actually the head of performance at Buffalo Bills and, and the Sabres as well. And he showed me the GPS data a few years ago. And it basically showed that it had all the speeds they'd done skating throughout the year. And consistently, across the board, on every skater, the quickest speeds recorded were when they were getting off the ice. So they were swapping out. And he looked into it and he realised it became pretty clear that they knew exactly where they had to be, point A to point B. And there was no deviation. It was as simple as that. They were getting off the ice and they skated quicker than at any other time recorded because of the, the clarity. And I think it's sometimes overlooked in professional sport is if you just have 15 players in rugby, for example, or 11 in, in football, and they know exactly what's expected of them, when and how to do that, then it is easy. You can give 100% effort. There's nothing holding you back. And you just go for it. And that is very powerful. But I have deviated there. But onto the culture. I think our culture has changed. Yeah, it, it was it was a very simple culture of players were treated well. And in return, we would have to work incredibly hard. Pretty simple, really, in a sense. You know, players have a good time and they work hard. Over the years, and specifically over the last three or four, I would say our culture's changed in the sense that we have become more performance uh, orientated. Yes, we'll have we'll make memories and have fun, but you know they won't come at the cost of performance. We're a performance organisation. We want to win, and we'll have a good time off the back of winning. And that that was a big change from the start, where it was very much about making memories and the results take care of themselves, and performance takes care of itself. And I think over the last four years, mainly, we have taken our performance to another level and we've still had fun along the way some people may not have found the environment what they first started out to be but they want to be part of a winning culture they want to be part of that journey and so they end up digging in and training harder than they've ever trained before it may not be for a long period for them a few years but for those few years they're the best they can possibly be and they have a great time doing it I think as well with our culture, it's changed dramatically from when, I say 10 years ago, it was very coach-led, sort of dictatorship in a sense of Brendan Venter and this is what we're doing, this is how we're doing it. Over the years, 
and again over the last four years I can really name it, the players as the senior playing group have got more experienced, we've come through, we've had some shared memories, more time with England and understanding different arenas. The players have taken ownership to a greater level and have taken our performance levels and pushed standards to a level which I didn't think were possible if I'm honest, and as a playing group, that's been a huge change away from perhaps the coaches leading most things and the players, again, over the last two weeks in these big games, dictating what's needed and how we go about that. So, Alex, if you're starting a team right now and you say you go become a head coach at a, at a, at a club tomorrow, and uh, I know that's not what you're doing, but let's say you do that, wh- which way do you start? Do you start with the making memories or performance first, good times second? You start with culture without question, whether that's as simple as good memories. You start with a culture that you believe in 100% because you're the one that has to drive it. So you can't pick someone else's beliefs or cultures. You have to believe in whatever you choose and go with because the driving force is with you. And then I would go strongly down a culture route of, you know, the performances we'll get to and it won't come easy. But first and foremost... We need to start performing for each other in a way that we need to get to know each other. We need to understand each other. We need to respect each other and then have fun together. And then I honestly, honestly believe that when you go out there, you're not then just playing for money or winning. You don't want to let the other people down. You know, I am been at the club now for 15 years, but there's people who turn up and within months they talk about how they don't want to let the guy on the left down, the guy on the right down because they don't want to lose their respect. And these are obviously players who've been here a long time and senior players, but those younger players or whatever, they do not want to lose the respect of their teammates. And that's the biggest motivation you can have because when you're on the field and things get tough, you need to rely on your teammates and if they've got your back and you've got their back then life is much much easier so you obviously came into that culture when you were what, 17 18 and you have grown with that with that culture and that environment so how has your role changed within that player owned setup if you will um obviously probably now seen as one of the, the leaders within that environment so how have you seen your role evolve as the, as the culture within the, within the club has, has evolved as well well actually i didn't come into the club when the culture was good i actually came into the club three years before Brendan Venter and Mark McCall. And the culture was pretty bad. And I don't mind admitting that. It was cliquey. It was quite poisonous. It was the ultimate, what I talked about earlier, pick and choose organisation. We might have a good cup run, but never won away from home. When it got tough, no one dug in. It was every individual for himself. And that's what I was around in my first three years. And then it changed when Brendan came in. And I was quite young at the time to understand how different it was. But over time, I've understood how remarkable it was what he did. And in him coming in and saying, every other, the two, three other coaches that had, had all come in the first meeting and said, what do you want to do as players? You know, what do you want to achieve? And the classic was, I'll make the playoffs, win the premiership. You know, blah, blah. Uh, Brendan said, what do you want to do? And someone said that. He goes, no, no. I want you to make incredible friendships and unbelievable memories. And the performance will take care of itself. But he did say, but you will have to work unbelievably hard. Simple as that. But we'll look after you. Have fun. But you have to work hard. When you're here and you're playing, there is no excuse for not working hard. And that was that was pretty simple. But there was nothing, no talk of making playoffs, premierships, winning. And that It was the performance will take care of itself if we buy in. Uh, and that was massive, really. And so what, what are the qualities you need out of the players? What, what do they have to have when they're recruited into Saracens? You know, what are you looking for specifically? You know, you, you can't control recruitment. You can't 
control scouting. But what you can do is immediately when someone comes into the dressing room, you 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 can form it. You're going to form an impression upon them immediately. Who leaves a good impression and who leaves a bad impression um, in their first day in the locker room with Saracens? The recruitment is a big one because I think when we set out on the journey, Brendan was big on this, was there was a lot more due diligence done on the person's personality, maybe a family, uh, references from friends, other people, away from just the playing side. Because the playing side's relatively easy. You see the playing, but there's a lot of hours in a day where people aren't playing. And what kind of people are they? And I think starting off with, we were very good in that sense, just getting good characters. Maybe not all the best players, but good characters. I think we deviated at some stages where we went for this performance drive and we went to pure performance. And yeah, we did a bit of due diligence, but we didn't really know how they'd react in our environment. And we, and we did perhaps get a few people wrong in that sense. And then we went back to, again, more... They have to be a good player, but they also have to be good people because it makes a huge difference. Because ultimately, the environment, the togetherness, the collective is the most important at our club. You know, our game plan is not about one individual being a superstar. It is about the collective. And if you go down a route of just performance in those players, they can be difficult. They want the ball the whole time or... They want everything to go through them. They just can be have a negative influence, I think, is the ultimate way I'm trying to say. And, and that's not what you want for a team environment. Flipping to individuals specifically and yeah, athlete mindset. I mean, do you look at, do you see a, a difference in the younger talent coming through now uh, who are being part of the group compared to maybe when you were first integrated into it? Um, and, and what I mean by that is in terms of values and even even attributes, you know, do they do they think differently? The younger players now are they do they have more fear, less fear? Um, you know, are they are they stronger, you know, mentally or or, or anything? Do you, do you see a difference in the younger players that come through now? It's oh, a good question. I think it's it's really easy for an older player to go, oh yeah, they don't interact. They're yeah, sure. They're not as clever, um, but they're great athletes and blah blah. And in my day, we weren't like that. I think that's a bit lazy because you have to try and remember what you were like. I think ultimately all young players are pretty similar in that they don't have that experience. They will make mistakes, and you have to guide them. The ones who are willing to listen and learn and generally have that heart, that work ethic, will always be all right. The ones who aren't good listeners will always struggle because I had it when I was younger. Everyone who's in that professional environment has played age group levels of England under 18s or England under 19s or done something. It actually means nothing. What matters is how you progress from the age of 18 to 21. They're your most important years, really. And if you don't grasp, as a young player, you have to do more than all the top players above you, not the same as Owen Farrell, not the same as Maratoji. You have to do more than them because they're already there and you have to get to their level and establish yourself. If you don't grasp that, then you're probably not going to make it in our environment or any environment, really. So I think for the young players, like anything, the penny has to drop them. We probably expect more of them now to come in from school and be more prepared than ever before and be ready to slot into training and first team level, which it wasn't expected when I was younger, which is probably a blessing because I wasn't ready at 18 or 19. But I think these younger players, their nutrition, they're basically professionals from 16. Their nutrition, their physical training, everything else, they are professional from a young age. But between the years... And the learning, that is something in a, an adult environment which they have to get to grips with quite quickly and is the difference between the guys who make it and the ones who don't. You know, Alex, there you're talking all about self-development, right? Really coming back to what we talk, discussed at the top is like kind of owning 
owning your own development. You know, you've reached 300 Saracens appearances, you know, and that's a pretty special achievement. How, how big of a part did you taking ownership over your own self-development play in that? You know, give us a peek into like kind of what, what you do, like what, what really, really drives you to develop yourself when you're at the pitch and then also when you're not, not at the facility. I'll be the first to admit I didn't get it uh, right at the start. Uh, my first year, I wasn't professional enough, and I think it took for me to get to the like towards the end of the year, and the pennies drop and go. Hang on a minute, you're not professional enough. You're not doing enough. You're gonna not get what you want out of this unless you knuckle down. So I wasn't right in that sense. And then later on in my life, when I was, I missed out on the World Cup in 2011. I had a, a bit of a bad summer, and again, I, I went. Hang on. I need to do, I can't listen to what the media say or what other people think. I need to make it impossible for the coach not to pick me. So for my learning, a few actual self-reflective moments were really important. And then I really pushed uh, my physical work, my conditioning, my diet more, and really, really got the best out of myself. And the rewards came from there. So I think that self-development of understanding that I could have sat back and sulked and gone, yeah, but so-and-so in the media says I should be picked, so I should be. And actually, reality was I need to go out and just keep getting better and working harder and know that I'm working harder than other people and that the, my chance will come and I'll be ready for it. And, and that's ultimately what I did. I think to answer your question about what drives me, I think what drives me is, um, is that I never want someone to turn around to me and go, oh, he was a very talented player, but he could have got more out of himself. I think that would hit me really hard to think someone thought that I didn't get the best out of my ability or something like that. Because I, I honestly believe I did, but or have, and still am. But I think that would be a real hit in the stomach. Because the ultimate drive for me is to keep improving and to never lose the respect of my teammates, really. Because when I'm out on that field... I know how competitive I am. I know that people ask, you know, I've played 300 games, I'm 32. Why is it that I come back into training and I always want to be the fittest, if not one of the fittest? And turns out this summer, you know, it was me and the 37-year-old. And people find that mad. Like, but you don't. the two of us don't need to prove anything because we've achieved certain things and we everyone knows we're fit. But it's that fear of someone coming along who is younger and in your position and then beating you or taking that place. And that's what drives me on. Is that I'll help every young player. And you know I still speak to a guy who's on loan called Max Malins a lot, who, who ultimately will take my position at some stage. But when we get on the field, it, it's me against him. I can't let him out, outdo me. When it comes to fitness, there are times when he is fitter than me at point, but I will not let him cross the line before me. It is my drive to go, no, I cannot let him beat me because that is one up on me or the coaches will go, oh, maybe he's getting ahead of, of Alex. And, and that's something I, I can't let happen. So my motivation there is to keep driving, keep pushing, because as soon as I let off, just a little bit, I let someone through, and then I'm behind. I need to stay ahead of them and constantly get better in that aspect. So your, your competitive fire ha has maintained its level, if not increased, um, over the course of your career, it sounds like. What, what habits or traits have you discarded in terms of, of preparation? Like which ones have you gotten rid of? Um, whether it's prep in, in preparation, performance, or recovery. And, and conversely, what traits or programs have you added over the years? Yeah, I think, so I have got probably, not not 
not got more competitive, but understood that it's okay to be competitive. I think that's probably the main thing in that sense. And, and that's not a bad thing in any ways. I think in terms of preparation or what I've discarded, I think as you get older, I can be quite anxious and, uh, and worried about things. But I think you, I learned, I've learned to that being anxious and worried and nervous for a game, it's not a bad thing. You care about it. You want to do well. You don't want to let people down. That, that's a, like a, a healthy feeling to have. But does it affect you every minute of every day, day in, day out, in lead up to big games? Now, I think when you're younger, you, you care a lot about what people think. Or if you're seen having dinner out on a Wednesday night, even if you're not drinking, oh, God, you know, what, will that, what perception is that? If you don't do your extra kicks or your extras because you've got a sore leg, but if you're seen not doing it, what's the perception? And I think you can get too wound up and worried about what the people are thinking. And actually, most people aren't, don't care. And so as, you, as I've got older, it's more about doing what I know works for me. If I am a bit sore, then recovery is more important than the extras. If I feel good, then the extras are, are more important or, or vast, you know, whatever it is. And I think it's about only knowing what works for you. If I have a glass of wine on a, on a Wednesday evening, it's going to have absolutely no impact on how I play at the weekend. But when you're younger, you get so worried about these things. Oh, goodness, what have I done? Like, you know, I'm not going to play as well. And you put this pressure on yourself to play well. So I think in terms of preparation, I've learned to do it as you get older. You know what works for you and do exactly what works for you. And don't worry about anyone else looking at you. It's about you, not about what other people do. It's about how you prepare for a game. And that's the biggest thing. And probably as, as I've got older as well, recovery has become more and more important in my day-to-day -day and uh, long-term goals, really, from swimming to stretching have had a huge impact in making me feel better going into the week so I could prepare better and then play better and then recover and then prepare better. Now, Alex, you've brushed up against something there that you've talked about in the past, um, which is... Uh, managing anxiety and managing fear to a certain degree, um, you know, in the run up to either like big matches or into, uh, you know, high pressure situations. Um, what, what have you learned about man managing that aspect of yourself um, over the course of your career? Look, I think it's a good question. I, I, don't, I don't. I Yeah, it's hard. Hard. It's not a very coherent answer there. I think anxiety is something I've learned that I, I have. Like, not in a, in a bad way necessarily, but I get nervous, I get worried. And actually, funnily enough, I thought about it a lot more this week because both my mum and dad are worriers. So my mum's a worrier, but she doesn't really project it onto me too much. She, I just know she is, and she's a worrier about everything in life. My dad tends to worry more and, and projects it on big games. So leading up to the Leinster game, it's quite funny. He sort of texts me in a week, oh, you know, think about this, think about that. And, and he's trying to tell me about things as if I was still a 15-year-old, you know, worry about the wind coming from this direction and think about your process here. And he's then on the Friday morning for a fly, he, he's ringing me about how he's relating my goal kicking to golf and how, you know, the water's on the right and you don't want to push it right so you end up hooking it left. And I'm listening. I have to put the, I have to put the phone down, like not hang up, just leave it on the side for a minute while he's talking because I'm already worried. I'm already thinking, you know, I don't always kick and we've got the best kicker in the world usually in Owen Farrell and I'm doing that job and it's going to be a very tight game and it's going to matter if I get my kicks or not. And I'm thinking, I'm worried about that as it is. And yet my dad's now projecting his anxiety onto me. I'm thinking, this is the last thing I need. So I think there's a bit of a tangent there in terms of my family, but that's where I get it from. 
and ways of dealing with it. I think I've learned to deal with it in a sense of you understand it comes and why it comes. That's not a problem. But at the same time, methods to get through it. So taking a mind off things, making sure you're very prepared so you know what you need to do and, and getting that sort of confidence from preparation of, you know, I had good confidence in the two days leading up to it or three days leading up to it because I kicked well and I felt confident with it. And then fun enough, next week, I didn't do as much practice, but I felt good in the last two days and I had the confidence of the week before knowing that I could do it. And so I think that's a way of dealing with that anxiety is going self-talk, sometimes looking at videos of myself previously, knowing that I have performed at that level, I can do it again. And, you know, this isn't anything new. There's nothing new here to, to scare me. So I think it's just sort of calming yourself down from that period, that point of anxiety and understand actually you've done this before and there's nothing new here to heighten that anxiety yeah that's interesting just to hear how you kind of package that up um and, and i guess on the on the flip side to anxiety and fear in a way is you know one word is, is motivation and obviously you won european player of the year in 2019 and you know in my opinion a lot of people's opinions should have played for england much more than you have but how does that translate into into motivation for you is it is it something that manifests in training or out on the pitch is it when you're lifting trophies and scoring points or, or those micro moments in training, how, how do you kind of translate those emotions that you feel away from performance to, to when you play on the pitch or, or is there no translation there? So I think motivation is a really, really good question, really. And I, I sometimes flip a bit back and forth in terms of, am I just motivated to prove you're wrong? Am I motivated just to get the best out of my body? Am I motivated to be to achieve the most? It's a it's a it's a difficult one, really. What I would say is perhaps sometimes there are challenges put in front of us, like lockdown, COVID, and other things, injury, and and I look at myself in those points and go, how motivated am I to get back? And it's not a game I play; it's a sort of question I'm asking myself. And I found myself, especially in lockdown, realizing how hard I trained. Uh, after that sort of first week or two, possibly tr- harder than when we're at the, the club and coming back in such good physical condition and me going, this has been the best test possible for me as a person. I'm 32. There's nothing to play for in the Premiership this year. I'm coming back in. I'm leaving for Japan in two months. I'm, I'm guaranteed of my position in the team nearly because there's so many players left. And yet I have trained the house down. And it was a really good sign for me that I'm still, you know, still the fire burns bright, that I'm unbelievably motivated to keep improving and get better. And why is that? What's the underlying one? Probably there's a, a feeling of, yes, there were caps that I felt I probably should have got and I didn't. And I need to go out there and keep proving a point. But I think still that I can play at a high level and I want to keep showcasing that I'm good enough to play at a top side week in, week out and perform at a, a very, very elite level. And that's my motivation, really. And, and when you're on the field, that translation is, I never want a teammate to lose respect for me from playing badly. I always want to be known as a consistent performer, week in, week out, that players can all rely on me. And they can never go, oh, yeah, he's a bit flaky or he, he was hit and miss. It's always you know, fair play to him. He, he turned up every single time. And that is perhaps contrasting to the anxiety question where you, I don't want people to worry about, don't worry about what other people think. I do generally care what people think when I'm playing. My teammates, yeah, I care about what they think 100%. 
Well, your teammates uh, in Japan have got a uh, have got a good one. He's headed over to them uh, very shortly. Um, that was terrific, Alex. Really appreciate it. Great to speak with you again, especially in the midst of uh, a season and in uh, a move uh, that you're on the verge of. Uh, look forward to seeing how the rest of the uh, season goes from afar, and look forward to catching up again at uh, some point down the line. Thanks so much, Alex. Really appreciate it. No, thank you, Steve, and thank you both. It's been a really nice conversation, and I hope I've been insightful in, in some ways. And thank you for, for listening to me in that sense. I appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. No, it's all good. It's been a long time coming, uh, getting you on this podcast, but delighted we finally have. So, um, yeah, best of luck for us this season. Best of luck with the move uh, with the house and, and also to Japan, and uh, looking forward to hearing how it goes. Make sure you say hello to the staff at Saris and, uh, and take care. I will do. I will do. That's it for another episode, but if you've enjoyed these podcasts, then you can find many more like this on our Leaders Content Hub, as well as on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred platform. Check us out at Leaders underscore Insights on Twitter as well, as we post all of our content on there, as well as our LinkedIn page. Alex actually spoke at our event in 2016, discussing performing under pressure alongside the wing commander of the Red Arrows and a behavioural finance expert at Barclays Bank. If you think this sounds interesting and something you want to watch, and you can become a member to watch this session and many more like it, as well as accessing our virtual learning events and also engage with over 700 members from 150 teams in 25 countries spanning 20 sports worldwide. But do this by heading over to leadersinsport.com forward slash performance to learn more about the home of total high performance. Thanks to our podcast sponsor, Kaiser, who, as I said earlier, are also the main partners of the Leaders Performance Institute. Kaiser have been leading the way in exercise equipment for 40 years and more than 80% of the top professional sports teams in the world now put their trust in them. If you want to join them, get in touch with one of us at the Leaders team for an introduction or head to kaiser.com to find out more. Once again, thank you to John, Luke and all the content team behind the scenes for making this all possible and providing some brilliant questions for me to ask. Uh, I hope you're enjoying these conversations because we certainly are. Until next time, stay safe and keep thinking. Speak soon.